Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. That very day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they draw, drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they uh, recognized him and he vanished from their sight. So they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of God. To stand here this morning and see people as opposed to last Easter of standing here, this mor- standing here that morning and pretending to see people that really weren't sitting out there. And so we're just grateful that you're here. It's just wonderful to be able to be back together in person and, and worshiping together. You know, when I think of Easter and I think of some of my first memories of Easter, I decided this morning that I probably should go ahead and tell y'all a story um, just kind of let you know something about myself that I've never publicly shared here before. 
Because the fact is that my first understanding, my first memory of Easter um, wasn't in a Sunday school class. It wasn't in a church. Uh, in reality, it was in prison. Um, I am very well acquainted with the Florida Department of Corrections, and I'm very specifically acquainted with the Appalach Appalachian Correctional Institution in the panhandle of North Florida. And it was from a prison chaplain that I learned my first lessons about Easter as the uh, inmate choir was belting out up from the grave, he arose. That's where I learned uh, the first things I remember learning about Easter. I've never shared that publicly. I've never really talked about that very much and haven't really shared the fact that so when I was five years old, my dad worked at a prison. And uh, he, he taught English to... Uh, had you go in there for a minute, didn't I? Yeah. Hey, don't ruin that for the next hour, okay? Don't, don't ruin that for the people coming in next hour. Now, my dad worked at a prison. He taught English uh, in a prison. And, and every Easter morning, though, it was, it was really glorious. We would go, and there was a big uh, um, sunrise service on, on Easter morning on the prison grounds. And uh, so we would always take us, and we would go to that. And that is where I remember hearing my first stories of Easter. But... Uh, Reality is, and the point of that is that, you know, from my earliest memories, I've known about Easter. From my earliest memories, I've known the Easter story. I've known the, the, the various gospel accounts of, of what occurred. And, and um, you know, it, it's, uh, it can become in some ways too familiar to us. I've had a really enjoyable time, really fun time, exciting time this week studying this text. It's a long text that Greg read for us. I wish I had a voice like Greg. Man, isn't that cool? And now we'll tell you. Know, I'm saying, that's awesome. Um, but uh, it really is a fun text. I'm really glad nobody looked in the windows of my office because they would have thought, there's a crazy man in there, you know, because I would get so excited. I'd start reading something. I'd start going through it, and I would literally just get up out of my seat and, and just, start, just start walking around with it. And, and one minute I'd be reading, and, and then I'd just start preaching, you know, and I'm just kind of going through it. And it was so exhilarating, and it was so fun. I haven't really had an experience like that, honestly, in a long time, um, where it wasn't this sense of, of preparing a message uh, as much as it was a sense of just the Word of God ministering to me as I'm, as I'm going through that and seeing things with some fresh eyes uh, that was really needed uh, at that moment. Um, and what I want us to try to do is, is I would like you to try to join me with what I did this past week that I think the reason that it kind of had that exhilaration to it, um, I really tried to get myself in the story and to, to sort of put myself in, in the midst of it and, and try to think in the way that they may have been thinking. See, we've got kind of a skewed view of some of this because we get to read the whole story. So we have a skewed view of, of Joseph in the, um, in the prison because we know how it goes. He did not know how it went. Um, we have a skewed view of, of this Easter morning story because when all this is unfolding on Easter mornings, there's fierce doubts that are going on in their mind. There are, there's, there's tremendous, tremendous uh, angst 
that is happening. So I want us to, to try as best we can to, to, to listen to the story and to enter the story and to, to ponder and meditate on the story, not as a five-year-old in a prison yard with, you know, a zealous preacher up there telling the, the story in an inmate choir, belting out, you know, he arose, hallelujah. And I actually used to think when I was listening to that that it was said, up from the grave he arose with a mighty trumpet on his toes. That's what I used to think that they were, they were saying. And I used to say, why are they saying that? And, and uh, so as a five-year-old, I mean, I heard this differently, but, but, but it's been so familiar. Let's get in the story and be in the story uh, and try to do that as best we can, even though it's really hard to do and we really can't do it uh, when we've heard it our whole life. But let's try to engage it not as a 21st century American, Let's try to engage the story just a little bit as a first century follower of Jesus who just had your hopes and dreams smashed. As a follower of Jesus who thought, this is the, this is the deliverance. This is where it happens. This is, this is how we're, we're delivered from, from Roman oppression. The Messiah is here. And, and you've got in your mind what that's going to look like and how that's going to unfold. And then it doesn't unfold that way. Let's try to look at it not as someone who's read the story and, and seen the movie over and over, but as we place ourselves within it, you know, what, who do I identify with here? What might I have been doing in that situation or feeling in that situation? See, Easter was an incredibly busy day in Jerusalem and its surroundings. There's a lot going on that day. But it was also a very emotionally complicated day for the people that were present that day. It wasn't so simple. It's not like us. They didn't pop out of bed Easter morning and say, He is risen! He is risen indeed! And, and No. They actually got up to go anoint His body. That was the, where it all sort of started. And I've preached Easter sermons, and, and, and usually as I've, I've preached Easter sermons, I've focused more on the morning and the events of the morning. You've heard some of them already, but we know that in Matthew 28, the, the angel comes and, and rolls away the, the giant stone that's in front of the tomb. And by the way, didn't roll that stone away so that Jesus, Jesus could come out. Rolled away so that people could go in. Jesus really didn't need that stone moved. Uh, remember, he's the one that pops in and out of rooms <laughs> from time to time. He doesn't really need that stone moved in order for him to get out. And so the stone rolls back. And I don't think angels are cynical, but I can be a little cynical sometimes. And I'm thinking if I was that angel sitting on the stone, I might have looked at the guards who were in fear and said, hey, come look inside. He's gone. You're in big trouble. You know, I might have done something like that, but they, you know, they, he, the angel didn't. And but, but this, this stone rolls away, and, and um, you know, Matthew tells us about that, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and all their, three of their Gospels, they, they talk about the women coming to the tomb, and, and how the women encountered the angel, and, and uh, were told that he was risen, and then Luke and John, and, and their Gospel talk about how the women ran to the disciples, and, and, tell them what, and, and told the disciples what they'd seen, and, and what they heard, and in Luke's account, he says that it sounded to them as nonsense. That is nonsense to the disciples when the women... See, they, they weren't living in this joyous anticipation of resurrection morning. They thought it was over Friday night. That their hopes and dreams were crushed in the death of Christ. John adds that 
he and Peter took off and, and ran to the tomb, and they saw the empty tomb for themselves. It says that they didn't know what to make of it, so they all went home. It wasn't this celebrating, rejoicing Easter morning. It was an Easter morning of fierce doubts and tremendous, tremendous mental anguish for them. John tells us that Mary Magdalene stayed behind after the rest ran back home, and and she stayed behind and that she was weeping. And she saw the two angels, and, and even after that, then when she saw the gardener, she saw Jesus, thinking he was the gardener. Didn't say, hey, have you heard? Jesus rose from the dead. She looks at him and says, not recognizing who he was, have you taken him? Where'd you put him? Please tell me so I can go get him. It's an emotionally complicated morning. It's not the joyous Easter morning that we think of when we think of Easter. They didn't have the advantage of having read through the whole story and all the accounts. It would turn to joy, but it's not there yet. Then as she's standing there talking to who she supposes to be the gardener, despairing at the missing body of Jesus, the Savior, the shepherd, says one word, Mary. When the shepherd called the sheep by name, she knew who he was. She knew his voice. And she runs home and she tells the others that she's seen the Lord. Now, we don't have time stamps on this day. We don't have, uh, you know, this happened at 2 o'clock and this was at 3. So we don't know exactly what all the sequence and, and exactly how all these things happen. We get a pretty good idea of the chronology, but it gets a little muddy in a few places. But we get to the afternoon. An afternoon after it's been quite a day of fierce doubts and, and burning hearts once they realized, once Mary at least realized that Jesus was alive. But the day's not over by any stretch of the imagination. And now we come to our text, which is the afternoon of Easter day. So that afternoon, it says that it's afternoon in Luke 24, we're introduced to two of Jesus' followers. Now, we don't know who these followers are. Uh, we don't know uh, what, when I say we don't know who they are, we don't know what their relationship was. We don't know, you know, kind of where they fit into the whole picture. We do know that one of them was named Cleopas. Uh, the other is unnamed. We don't know the name of the other one. Tradition says that Cleopas was Joseph's brother. That may or may not be true. Uh, it's just a tradition. But um, we, so we know the name of Cleopas. We actually don't even know if they were both men. We kind of talk about the men on the road to Emmaus, but the text never actually says they're men. Now, Cleopas was probably a man because that'd be a little bit like saying George and wondering whether it was a man or a woman, not a, you know, a name like Taylor that everybody doesn't know whether it's a man or a woman. I get half my junk mail to Ms. Taylor Park. And so uh, it's, it's kind of those names that go both ways. Um, but as, as their walk, as their Uh, These two men are are walking along on the seven-mile walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Verse 13 tells us that. As they're walking, they're having this conversation about what had happened in Jerusalem, about all the events that had occurred, uh, and not just that day, but, but all the way back through the weekend. It's an interesting conversation, and somewhere along the way, we don't know exactly when, Jesus joins them. And so Jesus steps into the conversation with them, and um 
and he says, what's this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? Now, there's no, you know, he has risen greeting or anything like that uh, going on here. As a matter of fact, when he says that to them, the text says they stood still looking sad. See, we're not to the burning hearts part yet. We're not to the joyous Easter morning part yet. They're struggling. As a matter of fact, J.C. Ryle renders, literally renders that sentence, what are these words you are casting against each other? And then the uh, Amplified Bible kind of picks that same theme up and says, what's this discussion you are throwing back and forth between yourselves? There's a good chance they were actually having an argument. And they were actually having a heated dialogue and debate, not being in agreement about what was going on and about what all had happened back in Jerusalem. So we have these two that are clearly identified as followers of Jesus, but they're having doubts. They're having a struggle. They're having this discussion. At least one of them, maybe the other one knew what was going on. I don't know. But they may have even been arguing about what was true concerning Christ. And then Jesus shows up and and walks with them. But verse 16 tells us that their eyes were kept from recognizing him. There's a purpose in that. There's a reason behind that. You look at verse 18, they begin to talk about it. And one of them said, uh, one of them named Cleopas answered, I've got to be honest with you, I find this a little bit humorous, just a little bit ironic, because Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem that doesn't know the things that have happened here in these days? If he only knew who he was talking to, if he only understood just how well the one he's talking to understood these things that had happened during these days. He's talking to the omniscient one, the one who already knows, the one who already knows every word of the conversation that they'd been having, every event that took place in Jerusalem, every event that's ever taken place. And then he gently says to them, but again, I just think it's a little bit funny, what things, what things that happened in Jerusalem? He's not playing a head game with them here. He's not being cruel. Jesus understands that they have to confront their disappointment and doubt. If he just said, hey, that was Friday, but now it's Sunday, everything's different. And they had not wrestled through and worked through that, they would have not arrived at the same place. And what he's about to do with them may never have happened. He knew exactly what to do. He knew exactly how to, in grace and mercy, address their issues, address their doubts. They start telling him about it. They said, Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word from God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. And listen to this. It's a sad sounding sounding line. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. If they only knew. But they're going to know. He was the one who was going to redeem Israel. They just didn't understand how it was going to happen. Isn't that true of us sometimes? Don't we sometimes pray for things or desire things and it doesn't happen the way we think it should or the way we expected it to? And so we find ourselves disappointed with God when he was really doing exactly what we needed him to do. But it didn't happen the way I thought it was going to happen. 
It didn't happen in the, 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 the flow of events, the, the way things occurred. I, I can't see where this is going the way I want to see where this is going. When Jesus was crucified, they didn't see where that was all going. We pray for strength, and, and God does things to strengthen us, and we're disappointed with God because of what we've been through. We pray for wisdom, and God does things to increase our wisdom, and we get angry with God for putting us through those things that we're really answering the prayer that we had asked for in the first place. So we don't always understand what God's doing, and we get disappointed sometimes. They did not understand what all was going on here. It even seems to be they had some knowledge of, the, of a three-day event, that on a third day they mentioned that. They don't really expand on it. Apparently, they'd heard in verse 22 and 23 tell us that they'd heard about the women's experience and, and about the disciples and, and them going and telling the disciples. Maybe they were there. We don't know for sure. But they land in this pool of fierce doubt. Look at the end of verse 24. After all this, it says, but him they did not see. But him they did not see. And thus, we find these two on the road standing still, looking sad. But then Jesus begins, as only Jesus can, to speak gospel truth. Then he begins to tell them and remind them. He begins to speak resurrection power to their hearts. Look at verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and please don't, don't overread that, that term. That's not the word for a fool, like calling someone a fool, that's not the same word. The word that Jesus warns us in, in Matthew about using, that's not the word that's used here. This word is just more of, of unknowing, maybe unknowing when you should have known, you should understand, but you don't. It's not nearly the, the chastising word that we might think of. It's not a compliment by any stretch of the imagination, but, but it's not the chastising word that we think of fool as being. It's not contemptuous in the addressing them this way. He begins to patiently. This risen Savior begins to patiently, and they still don't know who he is. He starts with Moses, and he works all the way through the prophets. It says that he explains the truth about the real work of the Messiah, about what really had to happen, about what's really going on in this whole process. They should have known, but they didn't. And so he gently and graciously shares with them. And on the road, they're here on this road hearing truth, maybe starting to realize for the first time that their expectations were askew. Maybe for some of us, we begin to realize for the first time that our expectations really aren't what God promised. Or maybe he didn't promise the things we're expecting. Even though we'd heard, we hadn't heard. Something's going on inside them. Something they're going to talk about later. They're going to reflect back on this moment later on. And they're going to say, on the road, back there when he was opening the scriptures to us, weren't our hearts burning? Weren't our hearts burning? They'll understand later why that's happening. Still don't know who they're talking to. Still don't know who they're talking to. So they arrive in the village. Jesus acts like he's going to keep going, but they urge him. They say, you know, please, you know, stay. It's getting late. And uh, so he does. And verse 30 finds them at the table. 
Now, there is a lot of theological speculation about exactly what happens in verse 30, or those next couple of verses. Um, I, am, I am not a theological expert enough to, to say exactly, but I know it was big. I know it was something very, very significant that happened. Exactly how it happened, I'm not sure. Some people believe that, that just supernaturally he opened their eyes where they could see. That's, that's probably the most plausible explanation. Some believe it was more that he, using their humanity uh, and engaging their humanity uh, in the way that he blessed the bread, because it was in the, in the breaking of the bread, it says, that, he, that they recognized him. Maybe, maybe they were defeating the 5,000. And in the way that he does this, that it's all of a sudden they realize, whoa, that sounds very familiar. This is Jesus. Maybe when he raised the bread for the first time, they saw nail prints in his hand. We, we don't know for sure. But what we know is that in that moment, verse 31 says, their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished. Their eyes were open and he recognized them and he vanished from their sight. He had accomplished the reason that he engaged them. Their fierce doubts had turned to burning heart. Man, if their hearts were burning on that road as he was opening the scripture to them. Can you imagine their hearts burning when they realized that's Jesus? We've been, we, we were on the road for maybe two hours. We don't know where he joined them on the road. With Jesus, risen from the dead. He's been sitting here at the table with us, risen from the dead. Their hearts are burning in that. They understood that Jesus was the Messiah of Israel, and that it didn't go the way they thought it was going to go, but that he was indeed the Savior of the world. They understood that he had to be lifted up. They understood that he had to be offered as a once and final sacrifice, that the shedding of his blood was essential and necessary for the redemption of mankind. And now they also know that he's risen from the dead and that he's alive. The death couldn't keep him. Verse 32 says, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while, we talked, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? They didn't know who he was then, but they knew that the scriptures were causing their heart to burn. They knew that the truth of God's Word, the infallible, inerrant, perfect Word of God, was burning in their hearts, even though they didn't know who it was that was talking to them in that moment. So often, the Word of God begins a burn within us. How often, let's be honest, how often do we sit, maybe just by ourselves reading our Bible, maybe sitting in a church service listening to the Word of God being preached or expounded, maybe listen to podcasts, whatever it is, and the Word of God is clear and it's present and it's rich, and we find this burning beginning in our heart, this yearning, sometimes we're so fast to quench it down. Or I can't deal with that right now. I can't face that right now. And we don't allow that burn to become the conflagration that God desires for it to be. 
we hear a passage like 1 Corinthians 15, maybe for the hundredth time, thousandth time, maybe for the first time, where it says that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. You know what? That should never get old to us. That He was buried. That He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That should never get old to us. That should burn in our hearts every time we hear it. Whether it's the first time we hear it, whether it's the hundredth time we hear it. You know, sometimes we're able to sit in our church pews year after year, decade after decade, and have become skillful in making sure the fire never burned too hot. And making sure the fire, the, the smoldering embers, never really became a blaze. We've gotten too good at that sometimes. Rather than just being free for the Word of God to transform us inside and out. Can keep that burning heart snuffed out and quenched down. But that's exhausting, isn't it? Doesn't it get exhausting after a while to just try to keep stamping out those embers, to keep stamping out those flames that the Word of God is creating within us? Long-time believers, first experience, to know and understand that Christ died for our sins, yours and mine, according to the Scriptures. On this Easter morning, to understand that he was buried according to the scriptures. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's why we're here. That's why we gather. That's why we're here not just on this Easter Sunday morning. That's why we gather every Sunday morning to celebrate a risen Lord, to worship a risen Lord. That's our reality as believers. That's the burning of our hearts. No more needing the fierce doubts but experiencing the burning hearts. That's why we celebrate today that the Messiah came first to die, to be raised up, to be lifted up, to shed His blood, because God demands justice. And justice has to be served by the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. So Christ shed His blood on our behalf. If you've never understood that, if you've never understood that Christ died for you according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and raised again according to the Scriptures. Would you embrace that today? Would you stop stamping out the flames? If you've heard that and known that your entire life, and you've trusted Christ and you've been walking with Christ, will you ask God to, to infuse afresh in you that fire that burning heart of an awareness and a knowledge that Christ died for our sins and that we serve a risen, living Savior. That we are not engaged in a religion of the dead, but we are engaged in a relationship with the living. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. And our burning hearts attest to that. Will you pray with me? As we pray, if you're here this morning and, and maybe, maybe you've been sitting in church your whole life, maybe you're just here today because it's Easter. But if you have never 
come to a point in your life of, of understanding that you are a sinner, but that Christ died for our sins. He paid the price for our sins, your sins, my sins. And that he desires for us to receive that payment and trust him as our Savior. If you've never done that, you can do it this morning just in the simple prayer of your own heart. There's no magic words for it. It's just acknowledging your sinfulness and need for a Savior and asking Jesus to be your Savior and trusting him, giving your life over to him. Father, we are grateful that unlike the people involved in that first Easter morning that we woke up this morning with the full awareness that Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. And Father, we are grateful that we got to read the whole story and we can read it in four different Gospels and fill in all the details. They didn't have that advantage. But Father, we know that their fierce doubts became burning hearts. And those burning hearts changed the world. Father, the things that you're seeking to burn into our hearts and the flames that you're seeking to ignite in our hearts Father, may we not quench those and try to stamp those out, but let them burn and consume us with your glory. In Christ's name, amen.